You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Show us how you see the world. Show us. Because when you pray, Jesus, things happen. When you pray, Jesus, people change and we change. And so this is his answer. We read the answer in Luke last week. Now we're reading it from Matthew. So this is Jesus' words explaining prayer. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is then how you should pray. Now, I asked last week if anyone was brave enough. I'm hoping this week a bit more braver. Who knows the, the Lord's Prayer? Do you want, you, you want to give it a go? I, I didn't warn you with the second part of that. I'm going to make you speak out loud. <laughs> no, that was, I didn't warn you, so that's all right. Go for it, Abe. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, now you know the second part. There's suddenly less hands. That's all right. Let me, uh, let me read. We're combining the Luke and Matthew this morning to, to look at it. So uh, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he goes on to say, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We're in a series called The Posture of Prayer. And the reason we call it that is when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, they knew how to pray in the sense of they're good Jewish boys. They have a whole book called the Psalms. They know the words uh, they weren't looking for liturgy, necessarily. They weren't looking for something they could recite, although it's good to know Scripture. They watched the way Jesus worked, lived, healed, the way he came up against the oppression that surrounded them, and they said, something goes on when you pray. And so as a rabbi, Jesus is not just saying, here's the magic words. He's saying, here's how I see the world. Here's when I pray how I set it up. Here's the contents. Here's the order of things. So every single line means about three different things, has multiple levels. And so we started this journey last week as we started looking through the prayer. And if you weren't here, you can podcast it or we can get you a CD of the posture of prayer part one. But they say, teach us to pray. Teach us to approach God as powerfully and as intimately as you. And what do I mean by the word posture? Well, let me give you some pictures to try to help explain the different ways we can come before God. Firstly, there's the alarm button God or the alarm button prayer. Uh, life deals us a blow. We're, we run out of money, extreme tragedy, sickness, 
And although we may have not given him much thought during the week, maybe for an hour Sunday, we're quickly on the phone (laughs) to God, God, help us out quick. I need you, God, right now. We suddenly remember he's around because it's out of our control and we need God. Even non-church goers or even non-believers do this. I know multiple people that would tell me black and blue don't believe in God, but when things get out of their control, who else do they have to turn to? Uh, It's even probably the root of our uh, cursing and swearing culture. When you hit your hammer, when you hit a hammer on your thumb or something and you blurt out something related to God that's irreverent, but it probably comes from a place of there's only one name to call out at that point. And it's God. It's God, the alarm button, posture of prayer. The second one is the uh, ATM. A bit short on cash, God. I need something from you. Grant me three wishes like a genie. God, can you? We get out the shopping list. Father, I need that brand new car. We just put an offer on a house. It'd be good for you to fix that up right now. Need my business to boom. Um, We go to God. The ATM. We just need to know the right words and the code, and then we can get the ca- him to s- spit out some cash for us. <laughs> now, I, I say these two postures now, not, not to make you feel guilty. In fact, um, that would be extremely wrong of me. In Philippians 4, 6, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, uh, present your requests to God doesn't say in some situations, doesn't say in only well-motivated situations, doesn't say in unselfish situations, it says in every situation. So it's okay to bring, of course, if there's an emergency, it's okay to bring it before God. If you want something, it's okay to bring it before God. The reason I point out these two postures is the disciples notice something deeper about the way Jesus prayed. They notice something more meaningful, more powerful when they watch Jesus pray. There was a different posture he took. It wasn't just in emergencies and it wasn't just when he was short and needed something. But before we get to that, let me explain the third picture. You've got your Instagram posts of the girl, young girl praying by the beach. Um, Someone's had to take that photo. That's the irony of it. So she's not alone in silence and solitude with God. Someone's had to get a bit further back, a bit further back. And again, not trying to make you feel guilty, but we just got to be careful. As, uh, as Jesus gives a warning about the Pharisees babbling on and declaring their faith. And so we can so easily use prayer, especially when church is a way to fit in or a way to look more holy. There's nothing wrong with a post about God. Just be careful. And it's not, a, it's not a young person's social media game either. If you've been around church long enough, you'll know you've been in a prayer meeting and someone said something that could have been said in five words, but they've taken two hours to say it. Um, and they've added all the adjectives in front of God. And again, don't feel guilty if that's you. Just be careful. As Jesus says, don't use this as a, a way to big note yourself. Don't add the necessary. God hears you. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. And so just a little bit of a warning straight from the words of Jesus there on the posture in which we pray. Just tread carefully. 
because Jesus offers a deeper, more powerful, more meaningful way to pray. Hence the disciples coming to him. And nowhere in the Bible do they say, teacher, teach us to heal. He does teach them that. Nowhere do they say, teach us to cast out demons. He does show them that. Nowhere does they say, teach us to speak like you speak. He does teach them, but nowhere do they ask. They make the connection with prayer, with the way he sees the world. Teacher, teach us to pray. It's more like this image, as we discovered last week. Uh, Yeah. This prayer that God gives us is more like a father working on a project with his kids. And they're probably making a mess of it. They're probably colouring outside the line. There's probably a heap he has to clean up after it. But he wants to have a crack at it with his kids. He wants to have a go at it with his kids and he wants to do it with them. It's a relationship. Last week we explored two points. That the first half of the Lord's Prayer tells us prayer is about a close relationship with the good and perfect Father who is worthy of our attention and praise. First and foremost, prayer is about a close relationship with the good and perfect Father who is worthy of our attention and praise. And I'm moving through these quickly because this was last week's. Number two, prayer starts with a posture of surrendering and transformation in order to see God's will become our wills. Number two, prayer starts with a posture of surrendering and transformation in order to see God's will become our wills. More powerful than just an alarm bell. Bigger and more beautiful and more generous than an ATM. More meaningful than a status of religiosity. It's a conversation with our dad. A constant one. And it's a transformative process. So let's continue with the Lord's Prayer line by line. So the next line is this. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day a daily bread. Like everything else in the Lord's Prayer, it has multiple levels to it. The first one that you may not know was more cultural at the time is that Rome had a symbol for its provision at the time. Does anyone want to guess what it was? bread and so Rome would kind of lord this idea over they were taxing the people ridiculously everyone's poor but Rome would be the provider of the bread and so they literally used the symbol of bread and so the first sort of baseline of this comment is Jesus again is being political against the current kingdom and saying what if God gives the bread what if God gives the bread what if God could provide then you wouldn't need this Roman kingdom, would you? There would be a different kingdom. And so very political, very dangerous words. It's why later on they killed him, because he'd say things like this. Secondly, it's also, uh, as it goes deeper, it's a callback to God's provision. If you know the story of the Israelites in the desert, they'd wake up each morning in the desert, and it would be manna, bread, on the ground. Never enough for two days, just enough for that day. And that was part of their story. That was part, they knew that in their bones, sorry, as good Jewish boys, they knew that as soon as he said bread, he's talking about how God has always provided for them. Call back to the manna. So this is a prayer of, it's not just a shopping list, this is a prayer of faith 
and thankfulness. Faith that God will continue to provide. Faith that God will give us what we need and that God will be with us and provide for us each day. Of course, we also know it's prophecy. I won't go too far down this track, but we know we just remembered it with the bread. He's saying, I'm about to give the bread of life. All three things. It's a political statement. It's a thankfulness and faith prayer. And then thirdly, it's a call to one day he will be the bread. Incredible. One line. We only just started. One, one, one line and we're in. And Jesus is saying all this. The thing I like is it's not a prayer of excess. Notice that. It's not give us this day a bread factory that we may have bread and then more bread to sell as profit. Give us our daily bread. It's let me rest in your provision, Lord. Which is where the thankfulness comes from. And when you think about it, up until today, I know there's people in this congregation that are going through hardship or have gone through hardship. I'm not saying life has been easy, but up until today, here we are, we're still standing or sitting. We have breath in our lungs. And I know no one here has died of starvation yet. Because you're here. God continues to provide. It's funny, the world gives us enough. The world actually has enough to provide for the whole planet. God's creation, it's not a God's creation issue. Most of the time when poverty strikes, most of the time, it's a distribution issue. It's hardly ever the planet not providing. It's more than likely someone along the lines got a bit greedy and wanted the bread factory. (laughs) instead of God's daily bread. And so the question to this is, how often do we thank God? When we're praying, it's okay to come with our shopping list, but before we do that, how often do we stop and say, God, thanks for today. Thanks for this morning. Thanks for the worship we just had, let alone this morning. Thanks for the communion together. Thanks for this church. Thanks that we live in one of the nicest places on the planet. If you have kids, thanks for my kids. Thanks for my life. Let us not forget to thank God for his ongoing provision. I'm not saying you can't pray for more than that. God isn't poor. God isn't scarce. He's not going, oh, I think I can spare something. He's God. Let me give it this way. I love it when my kids ask for dessert maybe after dinner. But would it kill them (laughs) to just thank me and Mez for dinner? Would it kill them at the end of dinner instead of looking towards if we're having dessert tonight? Would it kill them just to say, thanks, Dad, for providing and thanks, Mum, for this amazing dinner? Would it it kill them? (laughs) It's kind of how I see it. I'm happy to give them dessert, but just please, would it kill them just to say thanks? Um, I sound like my dad now. Um, I better call him after and say thanks. Um, <coughs> or after they've had a little bit of dessert, do they have to automatically ask for more? Can they just stop for a second and enjoy the fact that they got dinner and it was yum and then they got dessert? Can they just not for once go, as they finish, is it more, more, more? And when there's three of them, they all sink more, more, more um, seconds after. As people of Jesus, this is a prayer, a way of life that attempts to fight 
this overwhelming message of the world that we need more and more and more. It actually says, no, just thanks God for what you're doing and please keep providing our daily bread. So number three, a prayer of remembrance and thankfulness towards God's ongoing provision. A prayer of remembrance and thankfulness towards God's ongoing provision. I've got a good example of that. If you're not sure what I mean by the world um, has us trapped in this consumeristic cycle. Uh, Any toy you get these days um, comes with a mini catalogue of other toys you could get. I don't know if you know. It's the same with Lego. I got an Ushis. We got an Ushi thing on the weekend. And inside it is a, um, a catalogue of more Ushis. I'm probably saying that wrong. There's probably a four-year-old going, oh, can't even say Ushis right. Um, <laughs> but it comes with a catalogue of all the ones you get. So the kid gets it and they're instantly dissatisfied because they don't have the whole collection. Um, we're trained this way. I don't blame us for <laughs> instantly being like that, but we've got to fight it. And this is a prayer fighting that very desire. Thanks for the Ushi. Maybe I don't need the other 26 I can collect right now. Um, it's, it's just, it's in our culture. We've got to fight it. So the next line, let's continue. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, Jesus does something amazing here. He pushes the goalposts to a different place. He sets them up in a different spot than we automatically go. He turns this consumeristic culture, this ATM, this shopping list prayer on its head and says, what if the ultimate thing you could get from your prayer, what if the best thing you could get from your prayer is for your debts to be forgiven, for you to be free? Free from the Ushi's 26 other things you need and satisfied in what you had. And then what if in turn we could forgive others what if the ultimate definition of prosperity was to be forgiven to be more loving to be more peaceful to be free from the chains of this world the expectation of our culture the chains of guilt the chains of debt what if that was the ultimate thing you could get from God you know God's always been a God of freedom Right through the Bible, this is a characteristic of God. He says in Leviticus, uh, a book that's about three and a half thousand years old. So if you think about what's going on at the time when this is written, there's this tribe there that start talking like this and they reckon they're in contact with God. I believe it to be true because tribes at the time were not coming up with these type of progressive thoughts on their own. But it actually says this in Leviticus. uh, It actually gives instructions that on the 49th year, God's asked this tribe that on the 49th year, they forgive all debts. If you've lost land, that's generational land, it goes back to you. And all debts are forgiven. And they actually even asked them to let the whole year rest and let the land rest. And so they'd store up a little bit each year and then they would rest on that 49th year and let the whole, basically the whole planet rest. And forgive each other. And if you're a slave and not a slave in what we think is slavery back then, you could be, at least in this culture, you would be so poor, so in debt, that you would essentially sell yourself to somebody 
to pay off that debt. Um, we don't have those type of slaves now, but we kind of do. People can have so much debt that they can be slaves to the system. But you'd be set free and it'd be wiped. Here is a tribe three and a half thousand years ago when other tribes are sacrificing babies to gods. They're doing all types of wacky things. There's this tribe where they believe God has said to them on the 49th year, free everybody, free everything, wipe all the debts, even the foreigners, it says. Wipe all debts and reset and be free. God has always been about this freedom. And if you don't know what I mean by freedom of, of, of being trapped by culture, I read this study a couple of weeks ago that said, it's a silly example, but it paints the picture of how we actually can't see the chain sometimes. It says most people would rather trip over and get slightly hurt than trip over and be seen and not get hurt. <laughs> so most people would rather trip over and maybe roll an ankle then trip over with nothing, get back up, but for half the church to see him. And I hear some giggling because you know it's true. A little bit of you like, yeah, actually, rolling ankle wouldn't be that bad, but for everyone to laugh at me. Um, it's a silly example, but it shows there are these cultural things. We're so scared of people thinking something of us. Social media, of course, expands this. We're so scared of not being approved by our peers. It's a small example, but we're all trapped without knowing it. The point being, point here being, you might think the best outcome for a prayer is a comfortable mansion, a nice couple of cars in a driveway, a chocolate fondue that is as big as an actual fountain, marshmallows and strawberries that you can, as you walk in the door, you can actually just poke in your big chocolate fountain. Or maybe if you're like me, you think the ultimate world would be a, a world where there's a new Avengers film out every month. Um, maybe it's more sensible than that. Maybe, honestly, good health every day would be great, God. Jesus shows his prayer here, his heart here, and he says this. He prays for us. He wants us to be free from this false consumerism and false hope. His prayer is for us to be free, free from sin to why he gave his life. He seeks for us to be free and therefore, in the long run, start freeing others from the patterns of this world. So number three, Jesus' prayer for us is for us to be free and to look more and more like the one who freed us every day. Let me read that again in case my poor grammar gets in the way. Jesus' prayer for us is for us to be free and look to look more and more like the one who freed us every day. And then coming towards the end here, the next line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So you build this relationship with the Father. You start a project with him. You're working with him on something. You see him as good and perfect, not like the angry dad down the road. He is the good and perfect father. You surrender to him. You enter the kingdom of peace, rest, forgiveness and freedom. You breathe in and out. It's a Sunday afternoon life. Could be better, but there's this inner peace that comes from God. There's this inner joy 
There's this love you can't explain and you're sitting there watching the sunset. Then one of your kids that night has an asthma attack and you need to take them to hospital and you're up all night in 12 hours and you're tired. Or you pull out of the driveway and someone hits the front of your car as they speed around the corner and dint the front of your car. Or your boss is rude, they have a word to you, you make a heap of mistakes or someone gossips about you and you're made to feel small. Whatever it takes, just like that, if you're like me, you're knocked back in and you're back into the, the ways of the world. You're tempted to stick your hand out and not wave at the car that's just dinted you. Of the car, you're instantly back into the world. You're frustrated, you're tired, you're angry, you're suddenly unforgiving. In a moment, you forget all that. Am I, let me give a little bit of participation. Anyone else slip back that easily? I definitely, definitely, definitely do. In a moment, <laughs> seconds after the sunset, one of the girls will come up and just go on the beach and wet me with the water and then I'm back, I'm back. I've forgotten the Lord's Prayer. That's what this is about. There's real darkness, there's real distraction and this posture and process before God, at least till kingdom come in full, is a daily process. You say it again. You think about it again. God, lead us not into temptation deliver us from the evil one. Father, may I stay on track for more than a day. Great. Let's try two days. Great. Let's try a week. Great. Let's try three days. <laughs> Great. I don't know. It feels like it's a cycle, but it's going back to God and saying, Father, you forgive me. Let's try this again. Let me live in your peace, your rest, your love. That's the beautiful thing about God's grace. If you find yourself shaking your hands at the driver who didn't indicate, forgetting about the forgiveness of the Holy God, you can stop and say it again, Our Father, who comes from heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. Keep providing, Lord. Thank you for providing. Forgive me and I'll forgive that guy now. <laughs> And just keep not leading me into temptation and keep rescuing me daily so I can remember your forgiveness and your peace. The last bit of the prayer, it's in different translations, but thine is the kingdom of power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Basically just finishing off with a worship towards God, where we started. It can be found in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, 13 is the reference, and it can be found in different translations most scholars believe it was added on to the end but it's extremely biblical and it's a nice way to finish finishes with worship and praising god let's pray this morning the band's going to come on up and uh let's yeah let's just spend a moment resetting this morning father we thank you so much for your worldview, for your way of seeing the world, Lord. The writers of Scripture knew what they were doing, Father, when they included this to teach us how to see the world, teach us how to posture ourselves before God. Father, let us remember that you are not an angry Father. You are not a guy with a beard up in the clouds trying to lightning strike us. Lord, you love us. You want the best for us. You are the good and perfect Father. Holy is your name, Lord. You are set apart. You are different. You are from the place where everything 
is made right. And we pray we can partner with you, Dad, in bringing that kingdom here. Partner with you in forgiving others. Partner with you in loving others. Partner with you in bringing peace, rest and joy to this very busy, very troubled, very sad world. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. May we find more people that we can introduce to our good and perfect Father. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.